2 Corinthians chapter 1. You find that place and then look up at me, indicating you're there. I want to say a few things to you, preface to going down through here, and show you some of the scripture. Try to read it plainly and bring out the sense of it, cause you to understand the reading. That's the biblical formula. Good to see you all. It's great now that you were helping back in Life Builders earlier. Yeah, so good. I like it. Good to see you all back. Good stuff. Second Corinthians chapter one. All right. Um, I want you to keep something to keep your place there, and I want you to go back to First Corinthians chapter one. We're not playing hide and seek. Let me show you something. First Corinthians chapter one. <clears throat> I'm going to use the word epistle. That's a letter which was written. That's, we know them now as the books of our Bible. You understand these two books of the Bible, First and Second Corinthians, were written to churches in a city called Corinth. It was a very uh, uh, well-to-do city and a city that was a center of both commerce and education. And uh, the converts, the early converts in that city tended to be a very fleshly group of people. There was every kind of fleshly wickedness you can imagine in Corinth. And uh, at one time or another, most excesses had to be dealt with in the books of First and Second Corinthians. The people in the churches to whom these uh, originally letters were sent were not a rebellious group. You will not find the word rebel or rebellious or any of that in First or Second Corinthians. They were fleshly. They had to learn to live right because their fleshly appetites were hindering, damaging, and even, and even stifling the work of Christ in their lives. But yet they were a people who grew. If you study in and you, you do a slow and a careful reading of First and Second Corinthians, you're going to read, as God led the Apostle Paul to write to these people, you're going to see that it's a people who are progressing in what they are as Christians. And we can get a lot of encouragement from that. In 1 Corinthians... There's a fellow introduced, and his name and the meaning of his name really sets the uh, uh, sets the uh, tone for the book of First and Second Corinthians, and what we're going to be studying today out of Second Corinthians. But I want you to see him in First Corinthians chapter one. It says Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, that fellow Sosthenes. His name is interesting. It means of safe strength. Isn't that good? Of safe strength. And what I believe it sets a tone for Corinthians is the strength they're talking about there is strength not only that keeps you safe because you have that, but it's also strength which is used safely. Uh, whatever strength God's given you, you want to use it safely, not to be harmful or hurtful with someone. And I like that idea of safe strength. Now go to 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And there's someone introduced here. He's a lot more familiar than Sosthenes was. And this, this fellow you know, and of course there are uh, Bible books that bear his name, but I want you to see in, in verse 1 of chapter, uh, chapter 1 here, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. 
And uh, the word Timothy is interesting, and I think it brings everything into focus. You had Sosthenes, who means of safe strength. Timothy means dear to God. Dear to God. And uh, in a few moments, I'm going to give you a few more statements to help you focus on what we're going to be doing. But I'm going to be speaking to you on the subject of the blessings of comfort. The blessings of comfort. And I want you right off not to think of comfort just as being comfortable. Oh, that feels good. Um, we were driving in this morning and I had turned the seat heaters on. My car has seat heaters and I had turned my wife's on and I reminded her, I said, I have that thing on full. If you, you know, if you suddenly over there feel like you're on a rotisserie, you know, want to do something about that. And she said, no, it actually feels good on my legs and such this morning to, to have that on. And so we slow baked her all the way in. But... Uh, that, uh, that's one aspect of comfort. But God has another, uh, has a larger purpose, let me put it that way, in comfort. And the larger purpose, He wants you to be comforted. And the larger purpose is so you can continue for the long haul. There are certain things I do, of course, some distance cycling, and, and there are some things if they are not right in the adjustments of either your shoes or your saddle, your handlebars, the way you are on the bike you're not going to do real long distance because it will become painful and the discomfort will either impede your performance or shut it down entirely. So while God does want you to have comfort because He loves you and He wants you to have that, He also wants you to have comfort so you can stay in this thing for the long haul. So keep that in mind as we study some of these things about the blessings of comfort. Then uh, look in verse 2 of, of chapter 1 there. It says, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace in your heart. Knowing you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. In this world we have tribulation. There's fears enter into us. Uh, There's concerns enter into us. Sometimes anger will be in us and we'll have that. Sometimes confusion. Different things come to us. But in the midst of all this, we can have peace through Jesus Christ, because I know this, I'm at peace with God. There's nothing I have to add. And by the way, nothing I could add to make an atonement for my sin. What Jesus Christ did is enough. Thank God I am accepted in the Beloved. That's the Bible language. In other words, anywhere that Jesus Christ is accepted, I'm accepted in Him. And and when, when I... Finally go home to be with the Lord. It won't be sitting there and we have all these different jokes about, you know, Peter meeting people at the gate. That's all completely fictitious. Why should I let you in? And, and all that sort of stuff with it. And, you know, the New York cab driver says, I've, sent, I've made more people pray than any preacher ever has. You know, all those kind of dumb jokes uh, that, that people tell. And, and there's a myriad of them. But uh, all that's fictitious. Let me tell you something. It's settled. I, I'm not going to have to pause anywhere along the way because I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm already a citizen of that land because there's peace between me and my Maker because He made it. He came for me. And the one who came for me will take me home. I can trust Him all the way. And so thank God there's peace in my heart towards, Jesus, towards God through Jesus Christ. Then, peace in our mind. The Scripture says He had not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind and through the power of the Holy Spirit of God indwelling in us, we can make right and proper decisions. We're not going to be 100% accurate on everything we do, but we can make right decisions and we can go in the right direction. Why? Because of the One who dwells within us. And thank God for that. 
I'm glad He's not given us a spirit of fear, but He's given us power. He's given us love. He's given us a sound mind where we can do things the right way. Then, there's peace between one another. As we dwell in charity, honoring one another, preferring one another, bearing one another's burdens. Um, in fact, I told you the verse on Wednesday. I quoted the verse to you. It's, it's uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 14. That's been resonating. It's just absolutely uh, been, been just ringing inside of me. And it says this, let all your things be done with charity. That's just, that's amazing. Everything. And I'll tell you, when day by day you're going, you get ready to say something. You're getting ready to do something. You get ready to, is this, is the motive behind this charity? You start looking at it that way, it literally changes how you go about and how you treat people. That's a wonderful thing. It really is. So we see, we see a great name dear to God. We saw the great name of the brother in 1 Corinthians that, that means of safe strength. We see this thing of having peace and, uh, and, and yet God has so much more with it. Um, we're going to be, the main teaching is going to be verses 3 through 10. And through that, we're going to, uh, you're going to understand the title, Blessings of Comfort. Let me say this statement to you as we get ready to go into the passage here in a moment. It's a blessing that is needed. Comfort is needed. And I know, you know, sometimes people like to act like they're all talking. Oh, I don't need anything. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. That's, that's all nonsense. Bluster nonsense. It's needed. But the needfulness of it and the fact God provides it means God wants to be a blessing to us. He wants the comfort to be a blessing to us. And then, and simultaneously, He wants it to be a blessing through us. In other words, it doesn't come just here to land, but He wants to make us a, a vessel for what He's wanting to do. Why? Jesus isn't walking around here on the earth. Jesus isn't going to physically walk among your coworkers this week. He's not going to physically be at your house and talking to your family. Friends, acquaintances, whoever you meet as you go about and go shopping, do the different things you do and get the necessities for your family and such. You're going to do that. I'm going to do that. And, and He wants to work through us as well as in us. And uh, that's God's desire with it. Uh, passage is going to deal with some different things when we get into them. I'm going to give you these phrases and then I'll probably maybe mention again as we go through. It deals with some of the real and raw emotions. As we journey on what the Bible calls us being pilgrims and strangers on the earth. Isn't that something? I like that too. It's kind of funny, Brother Brian. The phrasing, I love it. They confess they were pilgrims and strangers on the earth. In other words, I have this. I have in my mind when I hear that, it's sort of like something I'm riding on for a while until I get to go home to be to heaven, you know? <laughs> he said it we're pilgrims and strangers. Here's some of the things we run into. Here's some of the raw emotions and things we actually run into. Here, these show up in the passage. Tribulation's one of them. Tribulation's one of them. That's pressure or pressing. The first definition of tribulation is pressure or pressing. It's that constant pressure going on. By the way, are you surprised that as we draw closer to the tribulation period, that you're feeling more pressure? That should not surprise you. If you want to know what's behind everything, learn this verse from Revelation. For they shall neither be able to buy nor sell unless they take the mark. What is coming towards is a one world government where complete allegiance to what is set forth is going to be demanded 
And the price of non-compliance will be death. That's coming. It's in the Bible. We're not making any of that up. So, if we know that as children of God, we should not think it's some strange thing that some strange things happen to us, as it says in Peter about fiery trials, if we feel more pressure, the closer we get to the tribulation. But can I say to you that some of the most poignant and some of the most beautiful things that Jesus said and did happened when He went to Gethsemane? The word Gethsemane means the pressing place. And that point where Christ was facing the cross and where He was facing the ultimate bearing of the cross, taking of that cup of suffering, the part of His Father's will which required endurance and suffering. That's what the cross is. And talks about taking up your cross and following Christ. He's not talking about you picking up a wooden instrument of death and carrying it around. It's not even talking about a particular affliction or something comes with you. I'll tell you, if you want the true biblical definition, as you read it and understand it in context of what that cross is, it's the part of the Father's will which is not comfortable, which is not easy, which is not delightful that we do because the Father's worth following and His name's worth honoring. That's what it comes down to. And so this word tribulations there, there's a pressure or pressing. It's the word anguish. It's the word burden, of course, which leads you back to the pressing. Then the word trouble, we're going to read that. It's the same as tribulation. It's the outworking of it as it interacts in our life. Then the word sufferings. You're going to see that as we go down. You say, man, you thought you're preaching about comfort. You're talking about tribulation and trouble and sufferings. Yes, because the wonderful thing about God's comfort is those things don't have to be absent for His comfort to be present. In fact, His comfort is in the midst of it. It's kind of like people who are waiting until they get everything settled in their life to do something from God for God. It's <laughs> what they don't ever do. Because you can guarantee this, it's not all going to ever be settled. So, well, that's encouraging. Well, I'm just starting. Sorry, I find, I find reality to be encouraging because God's real. And we get to see Him work. Do you, do you realize this? Think about this. We get to see our God work in the midst of trouble. We get to see our God work in the midst of tribulation. If we watch some type of a sports event, and especially if it's a team thing where a couple of teams are against each other, we say the best games are the ones where they're most evenly matched, and it's a struggle. A 65-0 blowout may be fun if you're on the 65 side, but you don't really say that was a good game. <laughs> but when they're matched and there's a struggle, what glory is it to God? And I mean, how wonderful is it that we can do something that if in the face of adversity from our adversary, by God's mercy, we can stay faithful. Then something's been accomplished. You know, as we look back through Christian history, the things we will bring up for illustration or we will think of that will encourage us were saints who went through trouble. Who faced adversity. Persecution, even to the loss of life, but stayed true to Christ. And we look at it, hopefully humbly, we don't arrogantly say, well, I would too. But we look at it and say, may I have what they had to be faithful no matter what happens. And so this word tribulation, trouble, sufferings is hardship or pain. Nobody likes it, but it is a part of reality. Hey, look. It. Did, you get, did you get the text? It's in there. <laughs> See, all messages I give you are text messages. 
Here's the text and here's the message. Amen. <laughs> I wish some of you wouldn't go into screensaver mode while I'm delivering it. But did you get, did, did, did you get this message? This is a broken world. Did you get that message? Corrupt? Did you get that? All right, then why did we expect anything different? And yet, if we can have joy and if we can know God and if we can have blessings in the midst of a corrupt world, can you imagine for even one minute what's going to be like when we get home and all this nonsense isn't there? What a great thing that will be. And then the word afflicted. That's interesting. The word afflicted is to crowd. It's the idea of crowding into. You see how much of this deals with what we call pressure? But, and this is really very important, these realities are not the focus or the, or the message or of the passage. The f- message, show you what it is. Look what it says there. This will take us down to verse 3. Blessed be God. Even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, look how He describes Himself, the Father of what? Plural. The Father of mercies. It originates with Him. It comes from Him and is like unto Him because this is His nature. The Father of mercies and the God of how much comfort, church? The God of all comfort. Not only the comfort which is extended to you personally, but the comfort which is extended through you personally. Amen, brother. Someone being afflicted out there. Uh, He desires to work in us and work through us during all the realities of life. Now, with that said, let's look at the rest of the passage which uh, lies here beginning again in verse 3. It says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. If you're saved this morning, that's who lives inside of you. That's your God. And He wants to help you. Look at verse 4. Who comforteth us in our all our what? You remember that word? That's the pressures of the pressing. Comes in a lot of ways, doesn't it? There's a, and by the way, there are different pressures at different times of life. In the different stages of life. There's fears we'll encounter that we didn't know existed. There are things we'll encounter that we didn't have a full appreciation for what that was like. And can I say to you, He's the God of all comfort and He comforteth us in all our tribulation. There are some things we know that we may face in life, but we can't even hardly sit and imagine them because we don't have the grace for it right now. But when the time comes, our God is sufficient. May we believe that always. That we may be able, look at his purpose. He comforts us in our tribulation that we may be, what's the word? Look at it right there. That we may be, starts with an A, ends with a bull. Able? <laughs> we'll have the ability, not just the motivation, but the capacity. We may be able to comfort them which are in what? Any trouble. Tribulations working in their life. Now, think about this. This word able is important here. It's not just motivation. You may have the empathy. You may have the the desire to help and comfort. But can you see that what it paints here, what it it gives us, 
is that going through tribulation and having God comfort us and learning to follow God through tribulation then gives us the capacity to help others. But look at the way it's worded. Let, let me preface this so you'll catch it. Um, I do not disagree with the statement. Let's say if someone, uh, let's say someone came out and they were in a, a an abusive relationship situation, and they learn to follow God, and they they learn what God can do for them, and they learn what it means to come through that, and learn to have that as something that's. It's there, it's a reality, they have memory of it, but they dis, they, it doesn't control them anymore. Right? So they've, they've grown through this. I believe that there are some unique things they have to offer somebody who's gone through that exact thing. They can maybe speak about it in a way that's very personal. But listen to me well. They are not the only person who can be helped. Because anyone who's competent in the Scripture and knows how to minister and not bludgeon with the Scripture can help them because the Word of God is effective. Someone else can love them dearly and be a support to them even if they don't know what that feels like. I'm saying to you in short that this idea of you have no idea what I'm going through, therefore you cannot help or you cannot have an opinion about it, is not valid. Preacher, where do you get that? Here. Look what it says. And by the way, you have to understand, I'm looking at it as an encouragement. I don't have to have gone through every life experience somebody's gone through to be a blessing or a help to them. Are you ready for another neat truth thrown in with this? First one, I'm going to say, I'll sound almost like a rebuke. It isn't. None of us is, are the Savior. We get that, right? He said, okay. No, I'm not in, I'm not in your face. I'm not, I'm, that's not what I'm doing here. Watch, watch, just stay with me a second, all right? Just trust me a second. None of us are the Savior, correct? Right. So none of us are the complete answer for anybody. So let's not forfeit being a help for part simply because we can't be all. You'll do a lot more good if you realize that. Now look at the passage. I'll tell you why I said this about the other. Look in verse 4. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. Not just what we've gone through. I've never lost a child, but I can hurt for, love, and sometimes just sit beside and not have explanations or a big thing to say and just say, I care about you and someone goes through it. I've not known the pain of divorce, but that doesn't mean I can't love a brother or sister who has and is going through it and suffering it. I've not lost a spouse. But that doesn't mean I can't care and I can't be part of a blessing to somebody. I'm not required to have gone through everything. I'm not the Savior. Only He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. 
And only he could have been tempted in all points like as we are and yet be without sin. Not only do we realize we have the capacity to sin on any given point, but we could not bear up under all points. And God's very merciful. And He doesn't design to destroy the one through whom He has trained us in comfort. Um, continue down and look at this, what it says. It says, and, and we, verse 4, I'm going to finish it through. It says, Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. That's not comfort of experience. That's comfort of presence. In other words, saying to somebody and helping them guide and letting them know that their God's not forgotten them. Don't demand of them something. Now you just hang on to God. Or you just trust God. Everything will be okay. Go away. You say, aren't those statements true? Yes, but they're like throwing acid on somebody at certain situations. How about we try something a little more intelligent scripturally like this? You know, He has said He will never leave us for, or forsake us. Do you know that God has promised He's going to be with us? Do you know what? He cares about you. Do you remember when you first accepted Him and you knew that He loved you? He still loves you. He still loves you. He didn't love you because of your value back then. He loved you because of who He is and who He is hasn't changed. You can tell somebody that. You might not want to get that excited if you're right there talking close to them, but you get the idea. Look then, if you will. Let's go on down in verse 5. For the sufferings of Christ abound in us. These are sufferings that they encountered as they followed Christ and as they went about their life following Christ. So our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. They said as we encounter these things, then we get the consolation, the blessing, the comfort, if you will, that comes because of Christ. Verse 6, And whether we be afflicted, that's that word, to crowd. Too many things going on. Crowding in and that sort of thing. It is for your consolation. He said, I understand when I feel overwhelmed, when I feel crowded in, when I feel like it's all pressing in on me. I understand that God ultimately wants to do something with this for somebody. And my prayer then can be this, God help me to see you in this. I don't understand it. I don't like it. I don't get it. But help me to see you. And then, dear God, give me grace to help somebody else see you when they're in a dark place. Here's the bottom line. We need one another. That's why we're called a body. And I'm supposed to feed you, and I'm supposed to lead you and shepherd you. But you as a body are supposed to supply, by every joint, supply each other to care for one another, to love one another, and build each other up. And I'm excited about the what I see happening with that. May God bless you as you keep following that. And so he says, verse 6, And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual. I love that word. It's of a good effect. It has a power in you. Which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings. You know some things in life you just endure. We're supposed to remember Jesus Christ endured the cross. He didn't go say, oh, this is fun. He said, what a blessing. No, it hurt. He fell beneath the weight of it. Some things you just endure. You ever heard the old saying, grin and bear it? Sometimes you don't even get to grin. <laughs> just telling the truth. You just endure. Why? Because the one for whom you do it is worthy. 
May I say to you, your own integrity is worth it too. You don't want to lose who you are in the midst of things. You want to come out knowing that you kept following God. And when you do, by the way, if God's helped you through that, it'll produce humility. You won't come out, you know, crowing about how great you are. You'll come out saying, God, you were so good. <laughs> about a hundred different ways I could have messed that up and you were with me all the way. It produces something different in you. And so it says that, uh, that he is uh, effectual and enduring. I'm in the middle of verse 6. Of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. We want to help you. How can I use this for someone? And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall you be also of the consolation. The apostle had uh, been the instrument of many of these people's salvation. And as he looked at them and saw what they were going through and saw the things they were struggling with, and he felt the burden of entire congregations and all the different things for all the different people and families and such, he was encouraged because he said, I know God intends to work good in you. And uh, the only anxiousness there is, will you please let him? Let him complete his work in you. Stay tender towards him. Keep following him. And uh, that's a great thing. Look at verse 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which we came in to us in Asia. Let's say something to you. I wrote this probably three or four years ago at the bottom of my Bible. There is a, uh, a fearsome toll that has been taken and is taken on gospel preachers and those who go to Asia with the gospel. Something about that region is rough. Is this true? I've wondered about that often because it is. And you know, Paul early on, they wanted to go into Asia at first and they were sent around before they got to come back in there. And historically, you read what's happened where and missionaries, it's, it's, it's tough. But then I thought about it. What's up? What's, what's that? What's that uh, uh, what, is, what is the prize? What's up there? The largest concentration of human souls on the planet. No wonder it's so hotly contested. Verse 8, eight again, as observation. I wrote that down a long time ago. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia that we were pressed. See that word? I told you this is my time. We were pressed out of measure. <laughs> you like that? We like that. I'm going out of my mind. He said it was... Let me tell you how much we were pressed. Um, I can't even measure. We were pressed out of measure. He said, unreal. We were pressed out of measure above strength. They literally encountered things they could not overcome. Paul could not depend on Paul. It was totally insufficient. He said we were pressed above strength insomuch that we despaired even of life. I believe not only did they wonder if they were going to live, but also they got times where they wondered if they wanted to live. They hit that, didn't they? Verse 9. Look at the conclusion. May God give us maturity to get this. But, in the midst of all this, we had the sentence of death where? To what purpose? That we should not trust in 
ourselves. But where? Hmm? Finish it. Which raises the dead. We had the sentence of death in us so we would trust the God of the resurrection. We're all a little more self-righteous than we'd like to think. I'm being generous. We may be a lot more self-righteous than we'd like to think. We harbor feelings of moral superiority at times. Oh no, I feel like I'm dirt. Then why do you ever look at somebody and say, why'd they do that? You're lying to yourself. Get over it. We're far more self-reliant than what we like to think. I'm not talking about caring for the things which we need to care for and God's given us to be stewards over. But we walk in our own strength way too much. And God in His mercy wants to cleanse us of that corruption. Because once we learn to depend on Him in the basic aspects of life, then we have available not our own strength, but the very strength of God to see what He can do above and beyond. It's pretty exciting, really. Verse 10. I love this verse. Look at it. Who delivered us from so great a death. How many of you know you're saved this morning? You've trusted Christ. Let me see your hand. You're not ashamed of me. All right? Then you, my friends, have been delivered from so great a death. Keith, you were on your way to hell. Like, oh, you were on your way to hell. Christ saved you with His grace and mercy. You've been delivered from so great a death. Not only that, if you'll accept it and walk in it, He's delivered you from so great a death of the destruction of your life. Abby, there are things going to happen in your life you're not going to like. There are things as a young lady and young woman that you're going to have happen that are going to be hurtful that you have no control over. But you do not, you do not at all have to do things to destroy yourself. You can have a good life following God. Because He loves you. That's yours. He's delivered us from so great a death. I've had communications with people I was in college with, or, I mean high school with, and saw the trajectory they were on. And people I knew, and people I wrestled with, and people I went to, did whatever with. He said, what was the difference? There's one difference. His name is Jesus Christ. Man, that's something to be grateful about. But it doesn't stop there. That'd be great if it was there by itself, but look at the rest of the verse. <laughs> People talk about first and second work of grace. We got a triple play going right here. Check it out, amen. <laughs> Look what happens. Who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver us. What does that mean? Right now. July 26, 1980, Jesus Christ saved me by His grace. And I came to Him in repentance and trusted Him as my Savior. Thank God. But right now, this very day, on January 17th of 2021, that same power is what I'm depending upon. He didn't just deliver me and leave me to go. He doth deliver me right now. My flesh didn't get saved. It's as dangerous as it ever was. The old thoughts, the old memories are still there. They can take over just as easily. I could go into a carnal and even a reprobate mind if I didn't walk guard. But His grace 
is enough. I need death delivers right now. That would be awesome if you just had those two. But let's finish out the triple play. Look at it. Verse 10. In whom we trust. Why can we trust? Because of His written word and because of His revealed character. We can trust Him. In whom we trust that He will yet deliver us. He saved us. He saves us. And we're saved by Him. Why? Because that's what He does. The blessings and comfort are this, that they're as eternal as the God of all comfort who comforts us. The blessings and comfort are this, that while we're being comforted, we also, there's a purpose God's accomplishing in us to comfort others. The blessings and comfort are this, I don't have to know what somebody's going through. I don't have to have experienced what they've experienced to be a blessing and to offer comfort. All I've got to do is try to treat them the same way my Heavenly Father's treated me and tried to tell them clearly about how good He is. Thank God that He's the God of all comfort. Let me pray with you. Father, thank You for Your Word this morning. Your people and uh, this great passage. Help us to live in it and love others through it. Lord, if I've spoken this morning into the ears of someone who is not Your child, they've never trusted You, God, would You... Give them the conviction that you send upon them, the realization not to hesitate, not to wait, but that today may be the day of salvation where they trust you. Bless, please, for your own purposes, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. Perhaps you need to come this morning. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, we can open the Scripture and show you biblically how you can know for sure that you're saved. Why don't you come this morning?